Welcome back to the Chartwell Chronicles. I'm Colin Davis. Hi, I'm Brittany Atkinson. Just a reminder, we're more than just New Jersey Workers Comp. Uh, we practice in 38 jurisdictions from 29 states um, in a multitude of practice areas. Um, so check us out at chartwelllaw.com. And today we're going to discuss a few topics that have recently popped up in New Jersey and some questions that have become recurring uh, lately. There's a new bill that was signed uh, on July 20th, 2023, and is effective immediately, which pertains to an increase in doctor's fees. The Workers' Compensation Bar recently let out a notice on July 25th in regards to uh, discontinuances. So we have a lot of topics, including uh, some legislation on medical provider fees as well. Yeah, so I guess we could call this, um, you know, the hodgepodge of uh, new New Jersey alerts. We wanted to put this together today um, kind of quickly because of these, you know, random alerts that have been coming up. So we wanted to give you guys some answers and sort of a discussion on how we're dealing with them and how we're, you know, sort of monitoring them um, as they progress. These issues um, are really, you know, for you to know because they're going to be affecting our cases going forward. Um, a lot of them could potentially increase um, the value of certain cases. So uh, we wanted you to sort of be on the lookout for them. I, I agree. This is definitely about a, a mid-year update, especially given that the uh, fee legislation is effective immediately. And I'm actually curious how the judges are going to handle this going forward. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in that too. And I, I'm, I'm not happy about it at all, I have to say. Um, and as it relates to the discontinuances, um, we should start seeing them on our list soon um, per the memo from the judge. And we'll get sort of into that um, more in, in detail. But let's talk about this whole fee increase thing. So Colin just mentioned um, this fee increase. It's effective immediately. It was signed into law on July 20th, 2023. Um, Taylor Stewart from our office uh, just recently sent out an alert, um, which is available on our website. So you can actually read a little bit more about it. And I think there's a link to the actual um, bill that was signed. Um, so you can look at the details of it. But basically what it did, it increases the evaluating physician's fees, um, which were $400 um, to, or by, or I'm sorry, by $400. So they were um, allowed to charge $600. And now they're allowed to charge $1,000 for these fees. And we're talking about the IME fees um, that get reimbursed back to the doctor's um, when we go to settle cases. There, there also was another uh, thing put in the bill as well, which states that uh, psychologists, nurse practitioners, or licensed clinical workers who provide psychological treatment may be paid for their report or testimony as well. So it kind of expanded who can be paid and uh, specifically noted uh, those those three uh professions. And th this this is interesting. I remember when it went up from 400 to 600, and that wasn't really anything crazy. But when that occurred, the judges, if the exam already occurred, the judge continued to give $400. If the exam happened after the uh, bill went into, was signed into law, then they knocked it up to $600. But since this is effective immediately, I could see petitioner counsel maybe trying to make the argument, hey, it's, it's effective immediately. It's $1,000 because they're going to just come back and charge me more now that they're allowed to. And that worries me because even if they don't get charged again, are they essentially getting an additional $400 added to their fee? Yeah. And so my concern, and I, so I don't really know where this is coming from because my concern is that, you know, we have our two types of settlements. We have our order approving settlement 
and we have our Section 20 settlement. And in order approving settlement, the exam fees are split between the respondent and the petitioner. So it does spread the cost um, among both parties. But realistically, you're taking, you know, the statute's all about, you know, making sure that petitioner is treated fairly, justly. Um, and here you're taking more money out of the petitioner's pocket to pay for these fees. And in a Section 20 settlement, you're taking, you know, they're paying for the entire exam fee. So they're, you're increasing their costs by $400 completely. So you're just taking money out of the claimant's pocket, which is sort of why I was surprised to see this being enacted and, you know, effective so quickly. Yeah, it, it is interesting because that's always the argument petitioner counsel makes at, at the Section 20 settlements. Like, okay, can you give me an extra little bit because petitioner has to pay for the whole exam fee? Hmm. So now a Section 20, which would have a $1,000 fee, so then there'd be $4,000 left over, and then you'd subtract out six to 600 so they'd get 3400 Now they're going to get 3000 so it's 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 hurting. It's going to start hurting our argument for sure because it's going to cause our our carriers to have to increase our number because the judges will completely agree, and I think the judges might even be more willing to increase numbers because they'll see it affecting um, petitioner's bottom line, which is usually their, their bigger concern than uh, petitioner counsel's bottom line. Yeah. And so I, so we have a lot of judges in the division who won't even entertain a section 20 um, discussion without both sides getting permanency evaluations. And sometimes these cases that are ripe for disposition under section 20, you know, have very low values. You know, it's not worth it for us to pay anything more than say $5,000, sometimes $2,500, depending on the facts of the case. So now we're being forced to, or really the claimant's attorney is being forced to get a permanency exam, which could cost them up to $1,000 now. And that has to be deducted from the award. And Colin's right. All the judge is going to do at this point is increase the overall value of the case. And ultimately, the extra expense is going to come out of the respondent's pocket. Oh, absolutely. And as you mentioned, the... Uh... $2,500 section 20s where a lot of times we'll either agree with no exams or just a respondent will get the exam because we'll get to zero. It'll save petitioner a couple extra bucks, but we do have judges that do require both sides. So if we do have a really, really small, really nominal case, so we're, we're getting $2,500. You're $2,500. You get a $500 fee to the attorney. That takes you down to 2000 Then you knock out another 1000 The petitioner's only going to net $1,000. There's a 0% chance they will be accepting that, and I, this is going to be, this is going to affect section twenty, the the low end section twenty settlements for sure. Uh, obviously, the order approving. We're going to be better off trying them. I mean, if you know, if they're going to significantly raise the value of the overall section twenty on a case that we know that we could potentially, you know, we have a ninety percent chance of winning. I mean, we're better off trying them at that point, and then the claimants are getting no money. Right. And then they added that this the aspect that says the bill also states psychologists, nurse practitioners or licensed clinical social workers who provide psychological treatment. It does specifically say psych treatment the way I read it. And maybe I'm interpreting it wrong, but that the pays for report or testimony. So it increases the type of doctors who will be seeing and. May, ob, what happens if uh, obviously it'll be easier, it sounds like, to get psych 
psych retreatment for petitioners uh, or release reports. But how's how is that going to be handled? It seemed like a very broad uh, inclusion of a lot of people that weren't originally included. No, I agree. And the fact that it's very specific, it just I mean, there's it leaves us with very little argument against it. I will note, though, that the, that the statute does say um, up to 1,000. They may award. It's definitely not a blanket rule. It's not shall. I can't see. I, I mean, I anticipate that most judges will award the full $1,000, but we do have an argument. We can keep it down. So in a Section 20 situation where, you know, the judges are requiring a permanency evaluation, we can say to the judge, okay, judge, that's all fine and dandy, but... Um, when we go to settle the case, can we consider, you know, reducing the fee? Right. Yeah. I, I, unfortunately it, it, it doesn't, it, uh, fortunately it does say shall, and we think we'll be able to make that arguments, but I feel like when it increased from 400 to 600, it was also the same language. Mm-hmm. I don't recall exactly. And now so it's become routine practice to charge $600. Right. And like, like I said, my concern is, and I, and I think the judges will be to do what they did last time. And, if, if, if it's not a new exam, like if it's not an exam that was paid for after July 20th, 2023, they'll still give the 600. But if it's a new exam for any future case, any, any case or that doesn't have a perm exam yet, they'll, they'll award the thousand. But if it already has a perm exam, I expect them to stay at the 600. Well, and then also I'm sure that, you know, our doctors, our experts that, you know, we routinely use and that the claimants attorneys routinely use, they're going to be demanding it. Or they're not going to do the exams. I'm sure that's what's going to happen. Right, because a lot of the petitioner uh, doctors they are on a prepay basis. Because as our adjusters will note, when we send them the orders, it's always a doctor report X, uh, pay petitioner's attorney, and it's the full it's the full amount. So if I I either will see a lot less full pre a lot less prepaying, or yeah, they'll they'll be stuck putting out that thousand dollars and. That's why it's a little surprising to me that the petitioner bar, which is a pretty big lobby in the state, uh, let this uh, uh, had this go through, and it's so so quickly. I mean, it kind of came out of nowhere. If I I don't remember seeing rumors. I totally agree. I I wasn't. I had no information that this was even being proposed. And we, I mean, you know, especially with doing the podcast, we're all over um, these kinds of alerts. Well, I, I, when I started the research for this, I kind of I went through it and went, oh, I wonder if this is in a loose response to to the Garzon opinion that came down, and that was the one we discussed on a previous uh, episode where the uh, the comp judge awarded fees and penalties, and then the appellate court struck it down, but then the legislature uh, drafted a bill uh, that was going to increase uh, paternity petitioner attorneys' fees to twenty five percent. That was a that bill that was uh, originally um, drafted. It actually was withdrawn from consideration on uh, June twenty second. However, an almost identical bill to it. And looking at it, I've read it now twice, and I can't really see what the difference is. It looks like they just re uh, resubmitted it for consideration in on May eleventh to address the increase in fees, and it's it's still the same. So. It's still in the pipeline, but I, I think this is a loose response to the Garzon opinion. They're going to start doing it piecemeal. They're going to do doctor increase. Then they'll do just attorney fee. I think they're going to do it that way instead of being a, a large, uh, but I don't know. 
Yeah. Well, what worries me about that bill is that it's very absolute. It's very, you know, if, and we already talked about this, um, but just as a reminder, um, it's, you know, the fee will be, you know, shall be 25%. It's not up to 25%. It doesn't give us any wiggle room to keep costs down. Um, That's what worries me about that bill. Absolutely. And we'll continue to keep our eye on that for sure. But one important thing that uh, we we mentioned a little bit ago, and we're going to talk about pretty in depth now, because I'm not really sure exactly how it's going to come out is the bar, the workers' compensation bar sent out a notice uh, talking about uh, how they're going to handle discontinuances going forward. And we're actually going to read you that notice real quick. Yeah. So I have it up on my computer right now, Colin, um, and it was issued um, July 25th, 2023. So it's very, very new. Um, and this is what it says. I'm just going to read it verbatim and then we can talk about it. Uh, this notice announces that all matters uh, presently pending in the discontinuance list will be syste- systematically returned to the active list. Many of the 4,000 matters listed have been on the list for over 20 years. Attorneys and litigants who receive notices should arrange to contact the appropriate vicinage to provide case status, including updated contact information for those matters that will be prosecuted. Each matter will be listed as a motion to dismiss and will be administratively dismissed upon failure to respond. Questions about individual cases should be directed to the relevant workers' compensation court offices. So the reason we learned about this memo was because one of our um, partners that handles a certain venue um, mentioned that the judge was not willing to dismiss a case that was barred by the statute of limitations um, just yet because of this memo that was coming out. And that sort of confused me. So Colin, did you get a different take on, on the response to this memo from that? I, so when we were first told about it, I obviously hadn't seen the memo and then I looked it up and I, I think I found became more confused to be honest. I mean, it's essentially saying cases that are discontinued and not, not have been prosecuted and just officially weren't I guess, dismissed or are going to be now brought back to active. And the language scares me because, okay, they're going to allow it to come back to the active list listed as a motion to dismiss. Great. But what it said, uh, additionally, it said, but the parties have to provide updated contact information. So essentially it's saying, is it going to be dismissed the very first listing or is it going to be like a lot of the motion to dismiss as we deal with where the judges are like, oh, well, let's let it hang on because counsel needs to get this updated thing. So it's a it's a real risk that we might have a bunch of cases pop back up that we, we got rid of. And well, and Colin, the memo says many of the four thousand matters. So all of the cases that we have successfully had dismissed for this is my take on it. So all the cases that we have successfully had dismissed for lack of prosecution um, are going to be brought back on and put on a list and notice is most likely going to be given to the claimant. So now they're going to know that their case is back up. Um, And they're, I mean, are they going to allow them to bring them back after the statute of limitations has expired within that year? I mean, are they, they're, are they reinstating these cases? Or are they just... Go ahead, Colin. That's where that's where I got confused when we were first told about it. Before I saw the memo, I was we were told they would be listed as motion to dismiss. My assumption was, 
okay, they'll be list if if I have a case, it'll be listed on my next list. And at that time, the judge is going to say, "Here's the dismissal. This is just a formality." I thought it was a formality. Thing. So did I. But when you're reading, we have the they're required to give updated contact information. Mm-hmm. You're a hundred percent going to get a petitioner's intrigue because, and petitioner's counsel too. I mean, okay, maybe on the nominal one, like a, a small one, they're not going to do it, but. I've gotten cases dismissed because petitioners have disappeared on Mm -hmm. pretty significant injuries. And you don't think petitioners counsel will want to hunt that person down? Just so they can get their fee? Well, and what worries me, Colin, it says, including updated contact information for those matters that will be prosecuted. What does that mean? That they're going to give them another chance to prosecute their claim? Well, uh, that's that's what scares me when they said, okay, they're doing us the favor by listing motion to dismiss, but you're essentially giving petitioner actual yeah. notice again, additional yeah, actual then, notice then says, again. Like this, this is the language of the memo, and it says each matter will be listed as a motion to dismiss, which we know, and will be administratively dismissed upon failure to respond. So if they respond, the case is back on. That's I mean, what it is- sounds like. 4,000 cases that carriers in New Jersey are going to have to now defend? Yeah, I mean, I don't think that this is appropriate. The, and the fact that it's 4,000 uh, cases, I can guarantee you that any and all of our clients are going to at least have a couple of these for sure because. Oh, absolutely. That That's a large number. And, and okay, so it's. And even, even so, just say it's it, looking at the best case scenario for us the way it's coming it's listed as a motion to dismiss and it's supposed to be administrative what is going to be considered uh enough effort to update contacts is it just going to be hey it's listed you don't have me with a new affidavit from petitioner saying i'm ready to pursue it's gone or is it gonna are these gonna linger like all our other motions to dismiss and that scares me uh because we already get we the, our, our clients always are honest to get these motions to dismiss out, and now we've successfully gotten rid of ca- cases, and now they're, they've come back. It's like, so what argument now do we have to say to our clients to say, hey, we got rid of this case for you, but hey, now we got to argue it again? <laughs> exactly. How do we even explain that to our clients? Like, oh, it's barred by the statute of limitations because it wasn't reinstated within one year. But I mean, it says over 20 years. I mean, so we're going to, we could potentially have cases coming back that are 20 years old that were dismissed 20 years ago. I mean, hopefully, likely it's, they're not all that old, but, and then have to, you know, bring it back to carriers and, and who has contact information for who, I mean, you know, we haven't been working with, you know, all of our carriers for over that, you know, amount of time. So I just, this is going to be like a huge, difficult time for respondents and even claimants attorneys. I mean, they're going to have to find these people and give them notice. Right. Because it says notice. I mean, a lot of people move pretty regularly. I mean, you, you give you, your lease runs out, you move to another place. Your your case could have gone away five years ago. You could have moved out of state. Like that's what I'm concerned about. What is considered notice? Is it just sending a, a letter? And to be honest, they already received notice when at the, because to get on this list and to get rid of a case, you you had to file something and it, it, it went away or it, you sent letters saying, hey, if you don't do this, your case is going to disappear. I've sent them before as a petitioner attorney. Hey, if you don't answer this, we're screwed. Your case is over. Now it's like, OK, your case is over, but here's another chance. Here's another chance. Well, and what my biggest thing also is, and I sort of lost my train of thought here, but 
how the judges, um, they, the judges want to move cases as much as we want to move cases. Everybody wants to move them. This is a volume practice. We all know that we all have a lot of cases, a lot of work. Um, you know, the ultimate goal is to get them resolved as quickly as possible for the least amount possible. Um, do the judges, like the individual judges, they really want their lists now bogged down with this, you know, ridiculous discontinuous list of old cases that were dismissed for lack of prosecution years ago? Well, that there's that. And then there's the risk that the carrier could be like, say, because I know this happened on a couple of cases I've had dismissed in the past for lack of prosecution. Petitioner wins on a motion, gets treatment then just falls off the face of the earth and it, the case is, goes away. Counsel doesn't get their fee. It doesn't settle. But now it comes back all of a sudden. Do you think counsel's going to give up on that fee that they know they should have got, should have gotten? So we some of these cases could result in significant monetary uh, awards potentially. Uh, it's not, a, I don't, I don't have any specifics of cases of ours that we could even say, but that's a realistic possibility and something I know that our clients will be worried about. Yeah. I mean, we, I think we could beat this to death because it's just the unknown is just so vast right now. Um, I'm really anxious to see what comes of it and what is actually going to be done by the judge. Like if it's just, oh yeah, we're going to list them and then administratively dismiss them. First of all, why are they not administratively closed anyway if they're past the one year mark to have it reopened? Yeah. Right? <laughs> what does that no, even I, mean? <laughs> well, and that's what I mean. Like, is it essentially because to me, the, it seems like this is a formality, but if it's a formality, why not just put it on the list? Don't you don't need to send out a bar notice, but like, say, I say when I go to court on Monday, um, my judge is like, hey, this is on here. This was your case. We're just relisting it to dismiss it. Don't worry about it. It's gone. Mm-hmm. That's what it sounds like it, it it wants to do. But the way it's written sounds the polar opposite. Mm-hmm. And totally I'm agree. curious. So this was written, this was written the end of July. Uh, lists are printed, what, about two and a half weeks in advance. So any new new lists are good or printed out until mid-August. I'm guessing our clients, if, if on a loose timeline, probably September, you might start seeing this would be my guess. If they're popping on the lists. Yeah. I mean, I, so I haven't seen anything yet, obviously, but I know that one of our attorneys just had an issue um, with a case that came up after the statute of limitations expired and because of this memo. So, and that was the first that we learned about it. So I'm anxious to see how this is going to uh, pan out. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting that it's listing as a motion to dismiss. Are we going to have to write our own are we going to have to file like file a certification to that, or is it just going to be listed? Um, because now we're talking about having to bill the client to handle a case that's been closed for years. Yeah, and then no the bad. other thing is, pe- uh, petition uh, people could have di- passed away, died, and mm-hmm. now their estate. While they might not have done it, their estate could jump in. So this is definitely something we're going to uh, keep up on, and it's going to. I guarantee you we'll probably be talking about this again on, on an episode even or a, or a quick blurb uh, in a month or two once we get a little more information and one of us sees the – once somebody in our office gets one of these cases in front of a judge and we get a real, answer, a real definitive answer, we'll come back and address this. But we want to talk on another uh, 
issue we did discuss a couple a couple episodes ago was the medical provider claims and as we had told you their statute this one makes me happy i'm excited about this one so as we had told you they the the statute of limitations is six is six years for those medical provider claims which i'm pretty sure i went on a tirade on um but uh there's currently a bill in front of the the brief the brief background on that was they they compared it to contract law and they said, you know, contracts, you have six years to enforce them. And they said, this is basically a contract. So we're going to give them six years. So medical provider claims were just flowing in that were years old. And it was, you know, a little ridiculous. Right. And now it looks like there's currently a bill in front of the legislator that's seeking to reduce the statute of limitations from six years down to two years for medical fee disputes and workers' compensation matters. And I would like to say, finally, because as I had touched on... (laughs) As I had touched on previously, when I was a petitioner attorney, we made a a tolling argument for the statute of limitations for a child whose dad had uh, died and he missed the statute, uh, the two-year period by about a month. And we took the position that just like every other tolling statute in the state of New Jersey, petitioner's uh, statute should be tolled till two years after he's 18. Well, the appellate court said no. The new the workers' compensation statute says two years, so it's two years across the board, which has always been my problem with medical provider fees or cases. Because if you're going to say it's a comp case, then the comp two years should uh, be the statute period, and this will be a if assuming it, I'm hopeful it's going to pass because if it does. It will be a big win for us in regard to the medical claim providers because a lot of mine are at the right at that six year window when I get them now. I agree, but so if this does pass, what do we do with the? Well, I guess we'll have to wait to see when the effective date of the um, the new law is. But I just think the two years has always made sense because under our statute, you know, we we now have jurisdiction over these medical medical claim disputes. And our statute specifically says two years. So I don't know how it's ever been interpreted to mean six years. I, I That's been my complaint. And like I said, I have a little bit more of a uh, annoyance with it because of the case I just cited that I was I helped ar- helped argue with. Um, and if you're going to say tolling for a kid who uh, – tolling for statute of limitations on a child a de- where there's a de- dependency case, but – and it's gonna you're gonna say two years across the board, but on medical providers for some can for some conglomerate to get their money back. Come on, it seems a little uh, odd that you'd give the the hospital the the benefit of the doubt when you don't give the kid the benefit of the doubt. So I'm super stoked about this. I'm sure when it if if it passes, there's absolutely going to be some retro uh, uh, language about is this retroactive? Is this ongoing? Because I I have a good amount of medical providers now, and I would probably say that 90 percent of them are not within the would not have been within the quote two year statute when I got them. So it'll be interesting how they deal with those, and it's 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 going to be fun. I mean, I've I've the if I medical providers are a, a headache in because of this six years. I mean, six years ago is twenty seventeen, so a, a hospital could be like, hey, here's this bill, uh, go get it, 
and we're stuck. Whereas in reality, two year the two years is great. It's August third, twenty twenty one. Yeah, I do know that. Um, so I'm actually looking at the uh, proposed language for the new the new law for the medical fee dispute. Um, it says two years from the date that a payment or notice of denial of payment was received. So it won't be two years from the date of service, um, but two years from when they first got that, um, you know, price adjustment or um, denial of payment or whatever. And I think also it's going to be huge for um, the out-of-state injuries because they don't get wind of those medical fee disputes for a while. So, and those are, I feel like those are a lot of the really older claims. They, they come they arise out of these New York work accidents and it's, you know, the whole cross-jurisdictional issue, which is a whole separate issue to begin with, but because they now have a longer time, they sort of collected all of these unpaid bills or, you know, bills that were paid pursuant to New York and not New Jersey. And now they're bringing them over here. Oh yeah. And as we had discussed in our medical provider episode, that that's, that's a common thing where New York will say, Hey, we don't like our fee schedule. So let's pop you over in New Jersey city in our surgical center. And then we'll try to recover on New Jersey. And absolutely the vast majority of my super old, uh, medical provider claims are, uh, ones that people came over from New from New York or, um, and, you don't tend – I don't have a ton of New Jersey uh, – like just New Jersey exclusive ones, but most of those are always filed within the, the two-year th- two thing because it's usually in relation to a, a surgery they think should cost more. But those those cross-jurisdictional ones, they're the ones that come out of the woodwork. It's like basically on the six-year statute, statute window. So this language is very pro uh, – pro us and it, it it's surprising it's like we kind of did this topic is it, it's the middle of Ju- july august as we're doing this and it's it's summer months usually the legislature is off on vacation so it's it's surprising that this is popping in so it it's interesting for sure yeah definitely worth doing this alert because i think this this kind of stuff you know affects how carriers um i don't know handle their cases and set reserves and all that kind of stuff so if you have any more questions about this and where this is going and you want us to provide updates, just shoot us an email um, or give us a call because, you know, we're happy to, to review it with you. Absolutely. And we're always looking uh, for, for uh, topics uh, as well. And as we mentioned earlier, please uh, check out uh, Taylor Stewart's article relating to the doctor fees as well on our website. It'll be a good, uh, it'll be a more in-depth analysis uh and uh, from a different perspective, as he, he looked at it a little differently than we did. And uh, we'll definitely keep you apprised on the discontinuance uh, is going forward, because I think that's going to become a, a, a pretty big issue if it if it goes the way we kind of mentioned. So thank you again for joining us on this uh, episode of the Chartwell Chronicles. And we look forward to you subscribing to uh, our future episodes wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, we'll talk to you soon.